tell from the smile on Mike's face he wants to die <laughs> no way it's Friday which means it's not Monday and welcome to the out of practice podcast a uh, weekly little podcast in which uh, me and Mike we discussed David Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to Season 7, Episode 6, The Telltale Nation. It is good. It's very... Everything is Halloween-y kind of right now. It's uh, it's October. It's very, uh, very fall, very fun. And uh, you and I were just discussing how terrible we look on camera. It's not great, uh, but... More to the point, Keith, and, and I'd like to zoom out and be a little more um, esoteric about it. It, it struck mm. me as I was waiting for you to safety pee that, you know, uh, often we kind of come into the show moody and have to kind of psych mm-hmm. up to because sh- that's just who we are. We're moody individuals. But today yep. we're both kind of feeling all right. And we were having a nice little gab before we the show. And we were talking about some life and some other stuff and laughing and having a like, good little buddy hang. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. But and then and this happens on occasion. One of us today it was you says, you know what? We should talk about this. We should do this on air because we're not comfortable enough to just to just be. We have to capture it for four people who listen on the internet. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. It's not that. I just don't want to waste it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> because it's wasted if we don't record it and put it on the internet. Right, for literally no one to listen to. Yeah. I uh, mean, I, I, I think the I think the internet is our imaginary friend. I wish you all could see uh, the camera's static, unfortunately. The literal refuse all over the office now because my cat has found the joy of just getting the garbage out of all the garbage cans and bringing it into the room. We're, we're going to skip filings and subpoenas because, you know, we're recording like three days after we did the last episode, so... Uh, we're just going to uh, move forward. But if you would like to file and subpoena, because because uh, Moderator Phoenix is on a is on a road trip right now, he is mm. literally going across the country, and we're getting pictures, and it's awesome. Uh, but anyway, if somebody would like to let us know what's going on in their road trip, what their office setup looks like, et cetera, et cetera, how would they do it, Mike? Well, Keith, you can always get a hold of us by writing an email to Out of Practice Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on the Facebook or the Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We appreciate those who write in, those who uh, tag us and tell us to promote on such and such on Instagram or send us mm-hmm. uh, bot porn. Uh, always mm-hmm. appreciate you reaching out. I've, and, re- I, uh, I've appreciated that for about 20 years. Yeah. 
Hey, it and if you want, happen nearly as much as it used to. If listening to the podcast wasn't enough of an exercise in futility, heck, mm. takes the extra second to go the full nonsensical route and uh, leave us a rating or a review. You know, we've got a few, and uh, we've had to fake a few, but uh, regardless, <laughs> uh, you could do us a solid by doing so, and also give us a like up on the YouTube. Hey, maybe even reach out to Phoenix Cage. Uh, he needs somebody to talk to he, on his uh, cross-country tour. And, that's uh, true. Yeah, I think that's it. What are we doing okay. now? Okay. We are, you know what we're going to do now? We are going to hop back into the time machine. Smart. We've done, uh, you know, we've we've let you have a window into our life in this very live moment. We got a live cam of Mike's life. Let us talk about uh, our lives back in the day, specifically on November 10th, the year 2002. Answer me this. What were you doing? This day in the basement. Keith, interestingly, you've disappeared in this shot. Yeah, I, you know, apparently I hate that shot. I don't know why. I mean, I'm technically still there. I just look like a, you know, a chuckling idiot next to Rebecca. Uh, I, I don't know why you've disappeared. And I'm, I'm furiously scampering behind the scenes to bring you back into the fold of the show. In the spaceship that you run this podcast from. Yes, it's behind. I'm seated directly behind Shatner. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna keep bringing that up because you I know, just think I, it's just glorious. And and I don't think we necessarily need to see me. I don't think it. Oh, there, there I am. There he oh. is. Hey, what's up, me? Uh, All Keith, right. Using November. that photographer's rule of thirds. There he is in the upper third of the shot. It's really well done, Keith. You know, it has probably has more to do with the fact that this uh, the power cable keeps pulling my. Uh, my camera, but eh, whatever. Rule of now, thirds. Keith, let's, let's speaking go with of that. the rule of thirds, someone I know uh-huh. recently told me that you don't know you no longer need a professional headshot photographer to take a That's professional true. headshot. But Keith, at any time in your life, did you actually use a professional headshot? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Uh, hey, uh, on the YouTube, you know they do an auto captions. Uh, I would love to I'm love to see what they're going to do with that sentence. You know, I didn't even tell you I went to my first concert back from the pandemic last night. Oh yeah. What was it? I, well I went to Jen's live show. So I went I was like one of the first back in a in a theater early on when she did Into the Woods. Last night I went to the Met in Philadelphia to see a band called Need to Breathe. They're sort of a uh a oh, this just all happened today. A Southern rock band. Uh really cool. There was probably... They, they the sister band with uh, State the Obvious? Mm-hmm. And uh, what what was a little concerning is that outside, you either had to be fully vaccinated, right? So you had mm-hmm. to... There was a line for those who had their vaccination card, and we were just zipping right in. Right. Or right. a company was more than happy to charge you $50 for a rapid test right in the second line. You could pay 50 Which bucks, get a rapid utter test. utter nonsense. And then, yeah, utter nonsense, and show that you were negative, then still go in. Um... I will say that mask compliance inside, even for the fully vaccinated, was pretty high. Mm-hmm. But the line for $50 antigen tests to get into a concert was staggeringly large. So, Meaning those people didn't get vaxxed. Meaning there's a huge population of like 20... This, this, kind of, this, this band particularly has a wide age demographic mm-hmm. from like young teens because they also are like sort of in the Christian rock universe 
Sort okay. of. Oh, so they've okay. got that sort of younger age, like hands in the air type people versus right. like older people like me who just like like the jams. Uh, regardless, there's a, all, and all of those people were re- represented in that anti-gen line. It was, uh, it gave me pause for sure. Uh, but regardless, yeah. it was, there's something about the live music experience. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as far as just like sharing that experience with people. However, the feeling of a live rock show with like the sub bass that's just like yeah. rattling your rib cage and seeing live performers just like giving their everything is something that cannot be replicated. I think we've talked about it before and it was special to uh, to feel that little bit of normalcy. Yeah, yeah, live is important. And, uh, but you know, get vaccinated people i have nothing else to say. nobody listening to this isn't vaccinated we we only have about two listeners but they're smart well on all those right. lines i i got some more clarity sorry we're all over the place today and by we i mean me i got some more clarity on this cruise gig i'm doing so you have to be vaccinated so mm-hmm. full cast crew and the passengers have to be vaccinated makes sense right you also have to display a negative antigen or uh PCR test no less than 72, no more than 72 hours prior to boarding. And then upon boarding, every passenger and every person will be given a secondary test. Uh, so you will be double tested and have to be vaccinated. So it's yeah, that makes pretty sense. good. Plus no well, interaction I mean, with the audience, no handshakes, no meet and greets, no selling CDs, right. none of that. Well, I mean, that's important. I mean, especially on a, on a cruise, because you're you're trapped there, and like the nightmare scenario for the cruises is to have an have an outbreak on a cruise again, and, and every port is subject industry. to change, right? So we're supposed to be yeah. stopping at these seven places, but that's subject to change day of if the port has any any sort of thing. Yep. It really does beg the question. Ultimately, why would you go on a cruise? Nothing is nothing is set. You can't really do anything. It. Why would you do it? But I'll, I'll report back when I'll, I get back. I'll, I'll tell you why. To see Mike and Deglio sing Schmerzy Schmoys. That's well, why you this, go on a cruise. This is the Schmerzy Tenors. So, Keith, there's only about five Schmerzy Boys songs. I get to sing some Bruce Springsteen. We get to do some opera. We do an opera rock medley. Really oh. some really some special things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm technically a Jersey tenor. Do you need a fat guy who sings high? As a matter of fact, Keith, I was going to talk about talk to you about this another time. We are looking for some a guy that to play us the one track that is like made for Keith. You want to travel the world with me, buddy? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard enough to get me to go upstairs, but we'll work, we'll work <laughs> on it. <laughs> Keith, I want to see your first headshot. All right, well, right, but it, but you have to go first, unless uh, you have something special. No, 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 I'm just going to piggyback on yours and show my headshot again. Okay, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, so November 10th, the year 2002. Remember what we were doing? We are in the basement. I was about to uh, turn 22. Right, and I was... Uh, I was 22? Yeah, I, I was 22 at this point. Uh, so I was emailing back and forth with my folks, realizing that, hey, you know, I've been in the city a couple of months, going to start going on auditions. I desperately need a real headshot. And uh, so I had to go and on film with, uh, with film and negatives and all those things in full black and white into a studio to get my headshot, my first headshot taken 
oh my lord, did I not know what the hell I was doing. In fact, that turtleneck, I went in there with like a 10-year-old turtleneck. There's actually a clothespin holding the back of it closed. I didn't I didn't bring any clothes that were appropriate. I brought nothing. Uh, so but what this I did, doesn't shout Eastman School of Music. To me, this shouts late 50s avant-garde French mime theater. <laughs> well, you know, I I basically uh, haven't changed a great deal. That My hair's crept back a little bit, but I feel like I could be in my late 50s today and in that picture. Vincent Price? <laughs> Vincent Price. I've oh, used that joke before. Um, but, you, you know, folks, look on the left of your screen. And uh, look at these fine, aged young men and wonder how did these handsome, attractive mm. podcast, youthful podcasters mm -hmm. begin? And uh, now you know. This is the Out of Practice podcast from 22 years ago on your right and then the yep. current day on your left. I think we did okay. Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's a little less of you, uh, pretty much the same amount of me, Except for a, a little less there, and you're a little more gray. So it, it pretty much a little, yeah. Know, some would say it's you know, I, it's it's not terrible. And you know, I will say that I found out in my emails that uh, who paid for these headshots. My parents helped me pay for these oh, hell headshots. Yeah. No shit. So uh, thanks, mom and dad. You you are welcome to as many of the hard copy printouts of those headshots you could actually now, I, Keith, some I, would say that since your parents paid for this headshot that means they can take a picture of you anytime they want now uh <laughs> they can have that picture as many times as oh, they okay. want okay uh actually you know what i was uh those, you know, because I printed a gazillion of them and then you know didn't go on hardly any auditions and not that that would have helped me in the first place uh, but I, uh, let me see if I can find it. I ended up starting to use those headshots for Pictionary because the back were, the backs were blank. So I would use like a <laughs> stack of them for, uh, for Pictionary. And then I finally gave up and recycled them. And, uh, and let me see where they, I, I just by happenstance walked by my building one day. There's a picture of it somewhere, whatever. I'll say, Oh, here it is. And, uh, you definitely can't see, but this is my headshot in the recycling outside of the building that I did, that I just recycled them. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to get insane. it in focus. Absolutely so insane. There on the streets of New York City are my recycled headshots. Uh, pretty ridiculous. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there I was. It was uncomfortable. I hated it so much. I have not uh, grown to like it anymore. Now, I, now I'm out of focus. We have a lot of camera drama this uh, this episode, guys. It's TGI Friday. Actually, it's Tuesday for you listening. Well, who knows when it is? Could be. It yeah, could be knows? 2030 for all I know. Um, who knows? But uh, yeah, I hate headshots. I hate them so much. I I don't. I I find them very uncomfortable. I cannot look natural. I'm not happy to have them taken. I I don't like this business going on so uh but we all had to do it and i think i paid 600 bucks to get that plus whatever it costs to print them on uh on hard copy things and i haven't i think i've printed the headshot twice in the last six years so there you go so uh yeah do you have anything else or are you just going to piggyback you're going to recycle reduce reuse recycle 
your uh, your head job. I'm from trying last week. so hard to remember what I did on my 22nd birthday. I'm trying so hard to remember. I was living in Harlem. I was in Harlem, Harlem, uh-huh. Harlem. Uh, I'm sure I went out to dinner with my girlfriend and, and buddy Jay at the time. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I was turning 22, guys. Youth. Ah, youth. <laughs> youth. Ah, youth. But Keith, we should say as we get into the this day in the world, um, this is cool. Actually, well, I'll talk about it later. I, I'll, I'll make a note to bring this up later. Yeah, sure you will. All right. Well, then let us take this opportunity before Mike forgets what he's going to talk about to uh, talk about... It's time for the Out of Practice Podcast's This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, mm-hmm. essential sports updates. Looks a lot like my headshot And for some still. inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now oh, wait, you're gone again. Mike. Why is that? <laughs> you know, you wanted to record on a weird day, and uh, you were not prepped for this disaster that I'm we're not doing right for now. why your uh your ndi camera like has got disappeared from all the oh man i don't know i just was i wasn't interested oh but, you know uh, what it is keith because i did live cat cam it is sc- screwed up the whole ndi everything oh that's gonna be fun for our 17 different shots as we uh as we move forward yeah but uh you know while you're sorting that out yeah talk to me i will i will talk about uh you know, a couple of things were dominating the world at this point. One of them was, of course, Eminem, who uh, not only had the top song, Lose Yourself, uh, for the second week in a row, he had the top movie as 8 Mile took over the top of the movie charts, pulling in $51 million. Now, the other thing dominating the world was... Uh, our good buddy George W. Bush was, uh, you know, trying to invade half of uh, the rest of the world. And we were deeply into the run-up to the war in Iraq. <coughs> and the cover of the Berlin Free Press talked about... <sighs> the headline was, War in Iraq Would Be Short. So, yeah, that turned out to be prescient. Uh, yeah, so that was definitely what was going on, and, and because I've already prepped for next week, my basement is going to be about the run-up to the war in Iraq, uh, which at this point was a, um, if you remember, there was a huge whole countrywide argument about whether or not we should go to war uh, with Iraq and whether or not our pretexts for it were uh, real or imagined. And uh, yeah, we all, uh, we all knew what happened there. And I have to figure out when, because uh, I have I have pictures I took from, uh, there's a big march through Manhattan. I have to figure out when those were. I'll, I'll find them. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe for, for Basement next week, I'll find those pictures. I think it was about this time. So, uh, yeah. So that's what was going on. Now, let's, now that you've got that finally tuned in, we're going to move on and go to another one you don't have yet in a segment we call... It's time, it's, time, time. it's time It's time for sports. The New York Giants beat the Vikings 27-20 in the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome, led by Kerry Collins' 300 yards and two touchdowns over the air. Tiki Barber rushed for 127 yards and another touchdown. Meanwhile, the Eagles got pounded by Peyton Manning and the Colts at Veterans Stadium. Eli's brother went 18 for 23 for 318 and three touchdowns. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mike's like, Bail, get me out of here. What's happening? Wait, where is it? Where is it? I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. And I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to talk about the damn episode. Okay, folks, we are talking about The Practice Season 7, Episode 6, The Tell Tale Nation. It was written, again, by David E. Kelly. David E. Kelly has firmly retaken the reins of Season 7 after being a bit of an absent father for Season 6. And it was directed by veteran director Dwayne Clark, who last directed Eyewitness. Which leaves us with only one thing to talk about before we listen to the episode, which, by the way, as far as we can tell... As far as we can tell, it looks like the practice is not going to be leaving Hulu. Uh, we're basing this on not having the warning saying it's expiring and literally nothing else. So we are, uh, this music sounds much more confident than we are, but we're yes. certainly hoping that uh, perhaps they were just having a negotiation, which is why it looked like it was leaving. So uh, hooray for that now. Let's do this. You know, Keith, it's funny that the first new email we got in months was just mm -hmm. because viewers were What's like, where's the show going? Is this right? And now we don't even have that. Penis. It's just still on Hulu. What? You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Mm. Oh, I love it, Keith, when just through random happenstance, the time period on the show matches the time period we're watching it in. So it doesn't feel like we're getting in a time machine to watch the show. It feels like it's airing right mm. now. It's Halloween yeah, there. It's it sure Halloween does. here. Oh, so nice. Although I'm not 22. 22-year-old uh, no. me didn't have to pee three times every night. <laughs> uh <laughs> Keith, I see the recycle symbol there in the middle on top of a spider. So it sounds like we are getting into our comfortable, familiar seat of recycling plot devices from previous seasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could this one be about, oh, I don't know, but poisonous spiders? I, I don't remember a plot about poisonous spiders. I do remember plots about uh, the government... Uh, discarding harmful chemicals in people's playgrounds to make them sick. Uh -huh. And so right. this week, we find out that a government facility that is running tests on spiders, is running genetic tests, tests on Ooh, spiders. Is it Spider-Man? Instead of discarding, you know, euthanizing those spiders, they are releasing them into the wild. And one of them bit a child in the sandbox of their home, and now a client is suing this facility uh, because their child developed gifts. Great power and great responsibility. Or perhaps got sick and died. One of those two, not sure. One fits I mean, more with this wow. genre. Look, um, you know, we've, I, I put you to the task this mm -hmm. season of coming up with shark jumping episodes and God damn, have you pitched a shark jumping episode? But wait, there's more. Because <laughs> also, you'll recall, they have to be sexy pitches. 
Actually, I don't think I don't think the sexy had to be in this season. We've just it's just evolved. We're recycling it, you that know, from last every season. Every season has always everything has been sexy since like season two. I mean, look at this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh here's the thing. The guest, uh, this one I can say confidently, Keith, because I saw it in the slate. We're gonna get a arc in this episode, uh, more than just a passing scene or two. I mean, we're going to get a full-fledged arc for good friend of the show, Ray Abruzzo, and just saying the words, Ray Abruzzo, is sexy as hell. Ooh, if you say it three times, he'll show up. Yeah, although then he murders you, which is less sexy. Eh, you know, it depends on how they do it. I mean, have you seen, uh, 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 what's that one, the Christian Bale one? What? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> No, when he plays this, uh, they made a musical out of it. Uh, oh, American Psycho. American Psycho. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, come on. Let's face it. It was a serial killer. It's a good looking dude. Yeah, All sexy. right. Let's, uh, let's move forward. Goddamn, we're a mess. And uh, hop over to your podcasting service of choice and listen to us. Listen to this episode. We will see you back on the YouTubes for the Oopsies. Okay, folks, before uh, we start this episode, I just want to uh, let folks know there's going to be uh, a lot of talk about uh, childhood sex abuse. So uh, for those uh, for those of us who have have experience with that, uh, just fair warning. it's uh, We're going to talk about it. So here we are. Mike, set us up. Thanks for the trigger warning before I did my silly, silly, what does Mike think's going to happen? That's really, <laughs> in retrospect, made me look like a terrible monster. Uh, no, you, what else? you brought up Spider-Man. There's nothing, you know. That's true. What else is new? Uh, season seven, episode six, The Telltale Nation. We're certainly prepared to go to trial. Don't misunderstand. You just don't think you can win. It's not that we can't, but We're nobody's starting a lot of episodes lately of saying we don't think we can win. There is a last minute offer. Sure. It's like a template it's they've got on the screenplay. likely just to avoid play. trial, but it's something. How much? It's uh, $8,000. $8,000? Jeez. Is that the going rate for manual rape these days? The thing is, this case isn't against the church or the priest. It's against a fellow victim. It's against someone who could have prevented it from happening to me and should have. Like I said, we're prepared to move forward, but we need you to be aware we're not confident of victory. I'm not walking Let away for eight thousand dollars. This opportunity to introduce uh, this poor guy, guy that we're talking about, guy we'll talk about this, over the credits. Yeah, over the credits, this is Tim Quill playing Arvin Grayson, who you would know from Sliders, ER, Walker, Texas, Ranger, and Jack. So uh, in case uh, we sort of lost it as things were happening there, he is uh, not suing the church for the abuse. He is suing someone else. He is suing a, a, a fellow victim. Uh, so we have a slightly different case here. Uh, but for the second week in a row, we're going to address uh, the Catholic Church and their now, treatment Pete, was of he, the... Was he scoffing at the $8,000 retainer that they're charging? Was that No, no, no. That was not the retainer. That was the settlement. Oh, okay. 
we saw the article off. in the newspaper uh, on the fat woman singing, and, and we thought, well, maybe you were like the specialist in nuisance oh, law, which is yeah, that's Lindsay's got her next nuisance case. But you're suing her. Yeah, that's correct. She's my neighbor, and uh, well, neither one of us could afford a big trial, and we had heard about this uh, alternative dispute resolution where uh, a lawyer, you know, kind of decides, you know, like a ref or something. It actually isn't okay, that simple. Okay, let Each us you would take this opportunity to, to introduce oh. these two folks who need a ref. Go, go okay. <laughs> Sorry, there's, I know things are happening, but no one can see that. <laughs> okay, so we have two people here. They are neighbors who are suing each other. And it is a man and a woman. The woman is played by Suzanne Krull, who you would know from Nash Bridges, Criminal Minds, and Glee. She's the lady being sued. And her neighbor is William Francis McGuire as Albert Ball, who you would know from The Day After Tomorrow, Mission Impossible 3, and The Mentalist. And, uh, you know, let's uh, let's find out what they're up to. Uh, okay. Uh, a lawyer you know, kind of decides, you know, like a ref or something. It actually isn't that simple. Each of you would have to be represented by your own attorney. It's a oh. shit show today, folks. Mm-hmm. Well, have you got another one here? I thought this was supposed to, to settle. They lowballed us. You can't try this. The jury will laugh at you. Why the hell didn't you just sue the church? We did. We got lumped into a class action on that. We're pursuing this defendant separately. Why? Because he's a deep pocket? Bobby. This is a dog, Eugene. And you know it. A victim has no duty to another victim. It's tort law 101. Without duty, there's no breach. Perhaps you'd like to argue <laughs> for the other duty. side. The other side at least has merits. Yes, which has always been a prerequisite for taking a case here. All right. Walk up. I took the man. trial. Jamie. Excellent. That's why it's handed to have somebody new. I'm sorry, none of you find her too perky? To answer your question, a civil case should have merit before you take it on a contingency, for God's sakes, which you know. I think another bias is in play here. Bobby. Excuse me? Are you talking about my bias or yours? Eugene. The jury will just laugh at us? The man was raped. What kind of bias allows for a person to see that is nothing? You know what? Good luck with your case. I hope you win. Jesus Christ. They're still going at it. They need a Sandy. They do. Need a friendship sandwich. I mean, it's it's my apartment. I should be allowed to make ordinary household noises. I see. So you both went to Lindsay Dole? Yes. This and she neighbor. said we needed separate attorneys and sent me over here. Excellent. And the nature of the household noises? Love making. Oh boy. <laughs> Love making? Yes. I guess I'm a little vocal. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, Susan. She giggled. So, this and is see more Albert, like, this is another Allie McBeal. He and I used <laughs> to be a couple. So it's difficult for him to hear noises that used to only get made for him. Ah. I think that's what this is really about. He's just trying to stop me from making love. He's a very jealous man i was 18 years old at the time you know i think that I was uh, having emotional problems when ally mcbeal shut down 
you know, in, in writers' rooms, they frequently have a bulletin board full of just like ideas that they can use later at some point. And he took the Ellie McBeal bulletin board and just like, ah, I can use that on the practice. It's the same thing with the musical episode last last week, and now we have this one. It it's just a, seems like I, 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 this isn't a critique. It's interesting because I'm still the the jury's out for me. It's just so weird that it's that it's Lindsay because Lindsay seems to be such like a she's such a badass lawyer. It almost feels like it would work better in the Jimmy universe or even maybe new lawyer. Like she should be feeling these. Well, I guess it is what it is. Well, but it's, it is a plot point that she's trying to go to lower stakes cases. I get it. And at home. And I knew that Walter was being counseled by him. So I thought that I would try it. Walter Beck was a friend of yours. My best friend. In fact, he was the only friend that I confided in my problems to. It was because of this I learned that he was seeing Father Brindle. And later, you met with this priest? Yes. And what happened? At first, he thought that I was suffering from depression. And then he started to zoom in on fear of intimacy. Physical intimacy. And at some point, this went beyond talk? Yes. After a couple of months or so, he asked me to take my clothes off to be naked before God and to lie down on a sofa that he had in his office. For the next several sessions, I would talk while naked. And uh, then it began to progress where he would lie down with me, clothed, and hold me to help me with my phobia of physical intimacy, as he would put it. And then he would take off his clothes and lie down next to me naked as well. Soon after that, he began to molest me. Arvin, did you ever talk to Walter Beck about this? I didn't tell him specifically what was happening, but I raised questions. I asked Walter how much he trusted this priest, and Walter always spoke incredibly highly of him. So you continued to have sessions with Father Brindle? Yes. And then he began to penetrate me with his hands. Did you ever tell anybody? No. Why not? Embarrassment? Shame? Fear? He was a very well-respected priest, and I thought perhaps I was the only one, so I made a decision to stay quiet. And then? And then after about a year, I stopped. My life went on. Certainly not well. For the next 20 some odd years, I tried to get those sessions out of my mind. Until the allegations came out that he had done it to others. And at that point, you came forward. I joined a class action lawsuit against the church and Father Brindle. And as I was reviewing the pleadings, I came across the name of an old friend of mine, Walter Beck. And I read that he had been molested by the same priest before me. He spoke so highly of him. He's the reason I went to him. You let me walk into that room. Objection. Knowing exactly what was waiting for me. Your Honor. Mr. Grayson, please don't address the defendant, sir.
All right, so we let that play. Uh, <clears throat> it's obviously some tough stuff to get into, but I think that's a tremendous performance from mm -hmm. Tim Quill there. Um, restrained and connected, and, you know, it's... I mean, obviously, it's a topic that was very... Uh, very serious at that at that point. Like it's actually changed. It hasn't changed at all. We are still discovering the scope uh, of what happened there and finding out it's not just the Catholic Church. It's lots of different places where this has happened. Um, but uh, yeah, oof, tough, I th tough I stuff. Think <clears throat> a couple of things uh, to your point, Keith. I'm gonna credit, and maybe you can, maybe if you have IMD pulled up, we can credit casting on that. Uh, an incredible performance, yes, but we've seen some incredible performances by uh, victims or parents of victims um, that are a little bit more sobby and, uh, I don't want to say over the top, but um, uh, intense maybe is the word, mm -hmm. but the casting clearly had in, in mind that the, the person for this particular delivery, they wanted it to be exactly what you said, uncomfortable. Um grounded to the point where it i mean this the, this i there's no way to know if this actor has an experience you know or is just really talented but it definitely feels like we are looking at a real person expressing these real details and so uh really well done you go ahead do you have a yeah no uh the casting uh associate was jennifer lair i'm assuming that's the only casting person uh listed on this particular episode oh that uh, Casting by Janet Gilmore and Megan McConnell. Uh, but yeah, really good work there. And uh, also, while, uh, yeah. also great great work by Cameron, just kind of doing what she can do. Great non-verbal acting by Eugene, kind of yep. showing us what he's thinking and feeling. And then lastly, I'll simply say that I think, you know, we've, this is a rip from the headlines type of thing, uh, story for the week. However, I enjoy the question of responsibility here. They've already reached a settlement with the church. They've already reached a settlement with the perpetrator. Um, but... Or at least part of a class action. Yes, part but, of yeah. a class action. But does that culpability extend past the abuser into the enablers? And is a, is a fellow victim an enabler? Or is, you know, I mean... We all have our different traumas and our all different experiences with abuse in different forms. But whilst whilst being abused, while being a victim, are you culpable for right. propagating that that crime by enabling it? These are these are interesting questions. I don't know that we're gonna you can give definitive answers, but I'm interested to see how the show handles it. Yeah, no, for sure, and uh, yeah, I'd certainly have thoughts on this, but I think the episode kind of describes it well, but. You know, while we're stopped to get a little breather from all of that, let us uh, do two things. One, Who's that Who's that the judge in this case is played by Ken Grantham from So I Married an Axe Murderer and Peggy Sue Got Married. And I know that lawyer from somewhere. The attorney for the defendant here is is played by R.E. Gross. Now, uh, you're like, that, you know, he looks pretty familiar. That name is pretty familiar. Yeah, because he played Rabbi Warner in four 
episodes of mm-hmm. season one. As I, I can't believe they brought him back with literally nothing different because he played a huge part in season one. Uh, but that does give us this important opportunity to play this bumper. We're not supposed to notice that you've been on the show before. But now you get twist the residuals arriving at your door. So welcome back to the practice. I'll pretend that I don't recognize that I saw you in season two. Here we go. You were a rabbi and now you're Christy. Yes. Now, folks, Indeed. now, folks, Keith, I have to, this might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. We clearly have a sensitive uh, topic this week dealing mm-hmm. with sexual abuse. However, uh, for those of you who are listening only, we're cutting to a church here. I believe this is the church, yes? Uh, nope, that's the front door to of the office. Oh, interesting then. What is what is the name of this building? The Vendervond. Vendervode. It's, it's low definition. It is low definition, because I thought it said the Vanderwood, and now I realize it doesn't say that, and I'm so thankful. Well, it, it, is, a, it is Vanderwood, but, I you know, it's German, so Vanderwood. There, that sounds much less pervy. A deposition? I would like to get his account on record. That way, Jamie, this is just a couple having a fight. Ex-couple. And I couldn't agree more. But I think that by formalizing the proceedings with a deposition, it might cause them to take a step back and say, whoa, there's no complaint filed. I know. And maybe there won't be if we do this. The goal is to make this go away quickly. So, like, office the A office can work with Lindsay's B office. Yeah, but well, because they're they're just like any other lawyers can work with other lawyers from different firms. Because she have to like pay her a retainer because Lindsay's Lindsay's uh, practice is autonomous from the original practice. Yes, it is. Well, what she did is she had the the woman being sued go and hire Jamie separately. Okay, so it's basically like an ex parte discussion between two lawyers both hired separately. Keith, my question is, how much do I have to pay to get both Lindsay and Jamie? Ooh! Right? Uh, not for, touch to, now with a 10-foot For counsel. For counsel. Oh, for counsel. Oh, for counsel. Can't wait for counsel. to take your first deposition. Does it show? It's just that for it to be against you, talk about irony. You are such a role model for me. I am? Yes. Not on stuff like anger management, but professional. Zing. After you'd been molested by Father Brindle. Raped. Here's Arya Gross. Did you tell anybody? Not for 20 years. And as you read the pleadings in the class action complaint, you saw that many other boys after you had also been molested. Is that correct, sir? Yes. Would those boys have a cause of action against you for not telling? I didn't know those other boys. As I testified, I thought that I was the only victim, so... Did you tell Walter you'd been molested? I told him that I no longer trusted this priest and that he should be careful around him. But you didn't tell Walter you'd been molested? No. So he's expected to tell you stuff you don't tell him? He didn't just not tell. He vouched for this priest. I didn't do that with him. You've testified that 
One of the reasons you didn't come forward was because you thought there was the possibility that you were the only one being victimized. Did you not say that, sir? Yes. Do you allow for the possibility that Mr. Beck also thought that he was the only victim? Even if he thought that, you don't just sit by quietly and let your best friend fall into a sex pervert's clutches. Actually, I believe that happens quite often, no? Oh, my goodness, yeah. I mean, people, it's, you know, uh, victims of abuse rarely disclose. It happens happens all the time. You know, and I, a lot of this case is going to be about... Um, yeah, I, I think Bobby pointed out that the law is that fellow victims do not have responsibility to each other as a legal matter. Um, but beyond that, I think the your liability has to be different when the abuse happened when you were a child. You yeah, can't also, possibly have the same type of liability. And also, I think that the, uh, an episode that's 40 minutes long can't really delve into the how, the, how deep this well goes. Because... Right here, in, in a situation like this, we're lumping together, or at least his accusation is lumping together the abuse in total, right? Versus the the very the difference that there are elements like like grooming, right? And part of that right. grooming process, especially with young victims, gives uses their shame against them and makes it almost think like it's a service being provided. I mean, I keep going back to the sexual abuse from the, um, Dr. Nasser, the, uh, the, the Olympics yeah. doctor, and how... You know, how it, it seems ridiculous to us after the fact to be like, how was he able to convince these people that these were actual medical things he was doing? Well, yeah. because he was a doctor and he said it was the best way to relieve whatever. You just, it's called grooming. Well, I, mean, I, mean, why I, mean? Is it, I mean, why is it abuse? Because you have a disparity between the mind of a child and the mind of an adult. And and it just you're you're just not set up to be able to process what's happening, which is applies to what you do about it as well as how you process the act. So I mean, I now in this it's episode, like, it's it's blurred a little bit more, and so let's do a little heavy lifting for those who aren't watching because I think it it is important. Like these are both grown men now, uh, yeah. And this this abuse took place, but the 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 accuser here, one of the victims who's doing the who's making the accusation appears younger to me. So let's say he was in his young 8 to 12 range when he was abused. Let's just, I'm throwing numbers out. I don't think they've been specific. How old was the, the guy who, quote unquote, led him into the clutches? It seems like it only happened recently. Like it happened sort of back to back. So um, it doesn't seem like he was substantially older. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. He could have and should have said something. Instead, he endorsed the guy. I think the performance is wonderful, too, because even though I think you and I so far both thus far, aside with the fact that he's not responsible for this young man's abuse, right, because he was also abused and didn't warn him or whatnot. However, the frustration and the anger and this poor victim looking for an outlet is very clear in this performance. Like, that's well, his motivation. And profoundly mm -hmm. understandable. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, it's I, I I completely get it, and and that's like you know, and that's that's what makes that type of abuse so horrible. Is you know, it has consequences that spider out in a lot of different directions, and you know, like the 
a child even being aware that it's happening to another child, that's trauma as well. And uh, trying and to think, figure out what you do with uh, with that, that's that's trauma. This show at its best, plot-wise, story-wise, is when it holds multifaceted, multidimensional human emotive issues like this, right? Um juxtaposes that with the very cold, often anti-emotional world of the law, right? Yeah. Like you said, we there are so much there's there are a lifetime of therapy. There is a lifetime of therapy amount of layers to the emotional story of this person right here. Right. Sure. Yeah. But yet the question has to be answered, but what does the law say? And how do we as lawyers feel about that and i think that if we get into it more bobby and eugene's sort of uh, feeling in this matter um asks all of those questions now let's see if they can how the plane is flown and then landed and eugene is lifting a lot of acting without saying anything i thought he held up okay i don't know this comes down to a definition of friendship the slippery slope becomes a cliff are you ready for the defendant don't worry, I'll get him. You know, Eugene, this thing with the priests and the sex abuse, it's made a lot of people angry. You think? It's clearly made you angry. And? It's well, good. I'm just curious as to why you seem to be directing that anger at Bobby. He came at me this morning, Eleanor. No, well, he, he made me attacked leave a baby the on merits of our case. You responded by attacking him. I didn't mean for it to come off that way. Is something else going on here? I'm upset over the case. Eugene if I had against him, personal trauma? It wasn't my intent. And again, he brought it to me first. It's just about the case with me. Mmm says a person when it's okay. not just about the case. And while it's entirely possible that there is history there with Eugene, Two, three, you don't have to have that history times. to be fucking pissed off. A week? Can I interject? Happened. No, this isn't a discussion. Well, I'd like you to ask him how he knows. Zeus in heaven, has he got his ear to the wall? I don't need my ear. Guys, writer room's meeting real quick, real quick, real yeah. quick. Yeah, uh, yeah. we got a really, really, really trigger-heavy episode plotted for this week with the church and sex abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do yeah. you say we uh, juxtapose that with a comedic riff on sex noises? Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, but is there any way we can interject a weird verbal phrase that is never used in uh, all of space and time, like Zeus in heaven? Oh, uh, yeah, I think that would be good. I think that would maybe take the focus off the fact that uh, we're particular, maybe potentially being a little insensitive. Yeah, well, you know, we don't want to be crap-ass, whatever, piss-ass crap. Yeah, maybe we could bring in uh, D.A. Smitchvitz back just to say sperm bucket a few times. Zeus in heaven. Here to the wall, Louise. All right, let's not do this. She's a slut! Okay, okay. Time out. I'm going to ask the questions. Mr. Ball, you'll answer. Louise, you'll remain quiet. Excellent. So she would have multiple sexual visits during the week? Sometimes, yes. And these visits interfered with the quiet enjoyment of your property? Yes. Because you could hear the 
activity through the walls. Yes. It's literally Excellent. the second episode to about the best of your ability. I'd like you to describe the these sounds. Oh, I don't have to describe it. I taped it. Oh, Jesus. I beg your pardon? Right here on tape. No, don't play I'm it. Not a boom play? box. Well, sure. <laughs> That's what you sound like? Zeus in heaven. <laughs> okay, Albert, we've heard it. What in God's name is happening right now? Ladies Zeus in heaven, Mike. Ladies Zeus and gentlemen. in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sound of a shark jumping high and mighty. You know, you wouldn't, Some would you say wouldn't have, to Zeus in the clouds. One wouldn't think that sharks make a lot of noise, but if you really turn up the volume in Jaws, you hear... As you can see, <clears throat> it's quite disruptive. Though we've all lived I in didn't... New York, so uh, we know I've I had a roommate above me who was I could hear everything, and it was oh, uh, yeah. uncomfortable at times. Seek out Arvin and say to him, "You should go see so, this priest." Arvin came to me. The guy, the defendant, is played by Ray Prasha from as Walter Beck. From Suits Imposters, the Inn, and he played the Vidian commander on the Voyager episode Deadlock Star Trek. You know, we'll talk about it in, in, in Stars and in Tires, but you know, it's funny to look back and I would say, right, that mm -hmm. it takes one hell of a confident writer's room to, to go from that camp and hard cut to this testimony. Well, and, and if you're going to do a comedic subplot, which I get, does it also have to be about sex? Well, here's where I'm saying you would think that it's a confident writer's room. Because the other option is that they are so unconfident about can we handle this sensitive of a topic that we have to, we feel like we have to tell jokes with it, right? To like, to lessen the, to make the medicine go down sweetly. And, and I don't, I think that Either of those, in either of those scenarios, it's very easy to fail, and I feel like we're failing a little bit. He asked me if Father Brindle was helping me. And you told him yes. I really thought he could help Arvin. I mean, just do the A case. Also, also yeah. what? Well, what the subsequent years of therapy have taught me. I was desperate to believe that Father Brindle was a good man. Yes. And I was perhaps desperate to have my best friend, the person who I trusted most, affirm this. Makes it sound like you were using your friend a little. Unconsciously, I suppose I was. But I did believe that he could help Arvin, and I didn't think that Father Brindle would molest him. I really thought that I was the lone target, and like Arvin, I assumed it was all my fault. Hmm. Arvin, I am deeply, deeply sorry. Objection. Objection. Mr. Beck, I'll ask you as well not to address the opposing party. That's all I have. Eugene, be careful. The jury seems with him. First, Mr. Beck, if I may ask, 
How did Father Brendel go about seducing you? It was almost exactly as Arvin described. So, as I understand it, just like with Mr. Grayson, he basically used the pretext of emotional counsel to eventually wind up... You know, something's been bothering me. And it's I'm twisted around. So okay. we're representing the plaintiff. Right. Yes. I, I couldn't put my finger on what was bugging me, and that's that was it. That's such yeah. a has that happened before? Oh in civil cases, sure. I mean, because you know, in, in criminal, we're never gonna be on that side, but in civil cases, right, we're against, certainly up on against the sewer tobacco side about and all those time. things. Yeah. yeah. Next to you naked on the couch. Correct. Yet, when your best friend asked for your advice, you recommended this priest for counseling. As I said, I didn't think he'd be targeted. But you knew the man targeted his patients. You're simplifying it, Mr. Young. Had you told anybody about your abuse? No. That must have been hard, not being able to talk about it, being the only one. You have no idea. I bet it would have been easier. Had there been at least one other victim, somebody to talk to. I didn't send my best friend to a rapist so I'd have company. You testified you were desperate for affirmation. I didn't do that. Do you ever blame yourself, sir, for what happened to Arvin Grayson? Of course I do. A day doesn't go by. I... We're very much in the wrong here. Of course I do. Like, I've... I have endless empathy for both sides of the party here, but this is not a Thank lawsuit you, that should have ever been allowed to happen in the first place. If there's anything in I learned opinion. in my life is that you can sue anybody for anything, Keith. Yeah. How'd it go? Not bad. They upped the offer to 110, so we must be doing something right. Did you take it? The client turned it down. What? Bobby... You should have jammed it down the client's throat. The client was adamant. Was I don't worse. care. You guys are partners. You see the books. We have to start exercising some discretion on the cases we take. And we have to steer clients towards settlement when it's indicated. Do I really need to tell you that? Eleanor asked me last night why I seemed to be attacking you. I didn't really think I was, but the more I thought about it, this case, it has made me angry at you, Bobby. Why? You're not going to like the answer any better than I do. Why? You're Catholic. There. I said it. Last thing I ever want to believe is that I could be guilty of bigotry, but it's the Catholics keeping the church in business. People like you who make donations, who go to the cathedrals and put the envelope in the offering plate. Those priests were protected. They were given safe harbor, allowed to go on raping kids because their crimes were kept secret as policy, as policy in the Catholic church. I know that most priests are good, don't get me wrong, but what we're talking about here, it's been going on for 30, 40 years. It's been systemic, and it's not enough for the Catholic people to say, oh, isn't that awful, and here's my check. And what do you propose we do, Eugene? Shut the church down. Start a different institution of Catholic faith. Hell, I might join myself. 
I propose you stop giving the current institution the money. I propose you be more angry. Dozens of kids have been abused in this state alone, and the church knew what was going on, did nothing about it, and let it continue. I propose you be as angry as I am, and that you good Catholic people stop giving the church the money. Now, this is expert, Keith, because this is posing the same question that the case isn't capitalizing to a larger audience, right? It's saying, aren't you part of the problem here? Is it possible that you're feeding these kids just as much as we're accusing this guy of doing it to these monsters? Yeah, and in my opinion, vastly more so. And, like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'll i say it. I think Eugene is 100% right. And I don't think I, I, I feel completely in agreement with everything Eugene said personally and have for a long time. Uh, that's not everyone's opinion, but that's definitely mine. It's, uh, it's definitely something that is, I think too easy, far too easy for people of faith to compartmentalize. Yeah. Well, and it has nothing to do with faith itself. It has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with the institution and the institution has proven through its behavior uh, time and time and time and time again to uh, be hurting people. So, uh, fuck off. Bobby? Get a new institution. What's wrong? Um, th there's, th there's been some shooting. One of, one of my clients, I couldn't really follow, but, but I, can't, I can't go there. Can you please go for me? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna need more details. There's been another shooting. Oh, don't tell me. Your client. We think it might be Lindsay's. We don't know which. Well, that one's over here. Shooter's in the bedroom. One of those clients shot each other. The case is not comedic That's, um, anymore. Lindsay's client. So Louise in her bedroom. Even Bobby. Okay, guys, I have to say this. I'm sorry. Uh, we're 19 minutes and 20 seconds into the episode if you're checking it out on Hulu. Look, there are sometimes you show up to set and somebody's on their game. And this day, this evening on the practice of the set, the makeup artist came in and said, you know what? I'm going to knock this shit out the park. If you look <laughs> at Bobby, if you look at... Uh, uh, Lara Flynn, if you look at the actress playing Lindsay or uh, uh, Stringer, they their makeup is like we're going to the Met Gala. Their hair is fucking pinpoint, and the costume, the, every collar is popped and flared. I mean, the styling of this shot is not. And then you go to an actual crime scene. That's not what you're getting. You are not getting Academy <laughs> Award hair, makeup, and costuming at a crime scene. It is hysterical. Now, when Ray Bruzzo comes in, we got to see if he's on fleek too. The kids still say on fleek, Keith. I have no idea what Better. kids say. I don't even go. I think I've spoken no to a kids. kid. Oh, oh. She puked. Jamie just puked. I'll, uh... That puke was on fleek. Oh, it sure was. We got a, 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 a highly detailed look at it, too. Oh, Talk Ray, how you looking? Mike. She's represented. Are you? Oh, he looks good. Tight. Some He's got a three-piece suit on. <laughs> yeah, look at the collar. Or the vest. My name is Bobby Donald. 
I work with Jamie. Don't be disarmed by how attractive I am. What did you just tell Detective McGuire? The truth. Bad move. He came in with a knife. He was going to kill me. He said... He said he was going to stab me in the heart so I would know the feeling. He just kept saying it. I'm going to stab you in the heart. He came at me. And I shot him. This is a very familiar feeling for Bobby. Bobby's a little turned on. He loves a black widow. Did they arrest her? Not yet. Could be justified self-defense. She did call 911 when he first entered. Did he break in? No. He let himself in with his own key. He also has two assault priors and a history of mental problems. Did he ever indicate to you that... No, he never gave any indication that he was going to do anything. He was armed with a kitchen knife. From whose kitchen? His. Okay. We'll talk to her again. If everything checks out, we'll let her give a full statement. In the meantime, let's prepare as if they're going to charge. You guys have a if system Walter for this Beck now. had simply told his friend that Father uh, Brindle was a what? rapist. It feels a little early Are in the we- episode, but it is. It's closing time. Time to put your case to bed. It's closing time. Otherwise, your client's dead. Closing time. Grayson wouldn't have been raped. But Walter Beck, who was in the habit of telling his best friend everything, decided not to tell him this. Instead, he just let him fall unknowingly into the hands of a depraved sex offender. About 15 years ago, a bunch of bystanders at a bar did nothing while a woman was repeatedly raped on a pool table. A few years after that, a little girl was murdered in a Las Vegas casino restroom while the killer's friend did nothing. The public became outraged and things started to change. Laws started getting passed criminalizing bystander apathy. Doctors today have to report injuries that they think are the results of crimes. Witnesses to child abuse have to report it. Yeah, we're we we're have really laws wrong now here. pending saying yeah. people have to report foreigners taking flying lessons. We have got whistleblowing laws to prevent stock fraud, corporate corruption, because the law is finally starting to catch up to our sense of morality, requiring people to get the hell involved. It's also starting to catch up to our sense of reality. That unless we all become our brother's keepers, we're doomed. Here, we're not asking for Walter Beck to have done all that much. We're not even asking him to help a stranger, only his best friend. If he could have said so much to Arvin Grayson as, hey, be careful. Instead, He continued to endorse this abusive priest, knowing he was a rapist. He not only failed to prevent a crime, his silence, in fact, 
facilitated one, a horrible one. To say that Walter Beck should bear no responsibility in this, that kind of thinking, it takes us back 15 years when it was okay to sit back and laugh while a woman got gang raped on a pool table. Not the same thing. I agree with Ms. Frett on this. The world is changing. We're seeing a rash of chicken little legislation. Laws requiring everyone to run around telling on everybody else. We're quickly becoming the telltale nation. But even should you want to go where the law has not yet gone, imposing a duty on one friend to help prevent the molestation of another, the molestation at a minimum would have to be foreseeable. Here, it wasn't. As Mr. Beck testified, he did not think Mr. Grayson would be victimized. Should he have known? Should he have seen more clearly? Are we going to start imposing that duty as well? Victims of sexual abuse should be required to see and act clearly? Please. <laughs> well stated. Privacy is rapidly victim. being eroded in this country. Public fear is certainly winning out. But today, you're being asked to impose a duty on sexual abuse victims to come forward and tell the world what has happened to them. Or at least tell their best friends. Help us. I agree, Rabbi. You played the rabbi in season. Oh, I heard the. I heard the. So heard they're the not going to file. They're still investigating, but it doesn't look like it. How's Jamie? She's okay. She plunged into preparing a defense just in case, so she's occupying herself. How are you? I'm okay. It's a little too much deja vu too early, I guess. How are you? I'm fine. You talk to Eugene again? Yeah, we're no. good. Listen, when, when I told you what he said, you didn't respond. Is that because you agree with him? I don't blame the Catholic people for abusive priests, but I certainly don't blame you. But it seems like you're withholding on the issue. Are you? No. Are you? I don't really want to talk about this now. Lindsay, I'd like to talk about it now. Okay. Every so often, you bring up how we haven't christened Bobby Jr. yet, and we really need to do that. And I always find a way to deflect it. Well, I'm just gonna say this. There's no way I'm gonna let him be raised Catholic. Okay, she came at it pretty intensely. It is not a faith or an ideology issue, but even with the remotest of possibilities that he could fall into the hands of the wrong priest. That's I, totally prejudiced. I don't deny it, but I would rather be a bigot than risk Let's my- talk about other religions. You don't think a minister or a rabbi has ever- Probably, but not as many as priests. Until you drop the celibacy thing, Catholic clergy- I'm not gonna hear this. Fine. I mean, I can't believe you'd be guilty of such blatant bigotry. 
I'm a mother. And my son will never be walking into any confessional alone. I know that's a prejudice, but the church has to accept some responsibility for my bigotry as well. Oh, really? Yes. When somebody walks through your door and says one of your priests raped me, you don't just reach for the phone and dial up your publicist. Well, and think about it this way, right? There's this, this really just sort of becomes like they try to make it about religion or about faith. But if you break it down, right, let's say Chuck E. Cheese, right? We find out that, and I am not saying this about Chuck E. Cheese. This is a hypothetical. So let's maybe say Schmucky Schmees. How about football, Keith? How about let's just do concussions? Let's do a, a much well, more causa causation based no, but, thing. No, but I, but I, but I, I think I'm stay. I'm staying with Schmucky Schmees. Okay. So let's say we found out that that company, that hypothetical fictional company, not only uh, was there a ton of abuse happening. That that company was covering it up was was not just not telling people about it, but covering it up over and over again. And it wasn't just happening happening at one location. It was happening all around the country, all around the world. And the pattern of of covering it up and sh and shuffling people around was institutional. And there it wasn't like it was just the schmucky schmeezes in New York. It was the entire country. It was the entire world. Uh, maybe the issue is not with places that sell pizza and video games. The places is the it, the problem is that institution, the business, not the concept of the business. So you take them to Pizza Putt or whatever it is, and then that's like it. It's not necessarily. It's about the behavior of the institution. It has nothing to do with the. <laughs> Product their sale. Product design is the wrong way to put that, but the 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 reason you go into the building or go to the institution. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think from the big picture standpoint, you're absolutely on the nose. My analogy was more to Lindsay's point, right? She's like, "Yeah, I'm admitting my bigotry, but it has nothing to do with the religion. It's like if Bobby Jr. wants to play football, and we got all we know all of this data that football is is dangerous and potentially could injure him for life." I can make a decision as a mom that I'm not sending him to football. Now, you might love football, husband, and you might think I'm just being anti-football, but no, I'm anti-my son being put in that type of danger. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get get the point you're making there, but it's almost like the, the, the thing itself isn't inherently dangerous, right? It's not like... Uh, you know, the church is inherently dangerous or a place that sells pizza and video games is inherently dangerous. It's that there's dangers among it. You're not anticipating that they're covering up. And, and I don't, and I don't, I don't think you're, a, I don't think you're bigoted against pizza birthday party places because you won't go to schmucky schmees mm. if that particular company is covering up that type of abuse. Now, just because, I mean, we've gone down this, this very tricky corridor the thing she and i think david e kelly is doing a a very editorial based sort of like he's laying all his cards on the table and i don't think he's in the wrong and nor do i think it's that radical uh, an opinion to have you know what i mean right. um especially since it's not these are not theories this is all backed up by what actually happened facts you know what i mean um but she starts to bring in her opinion in that Oh, well, until you take out the celibacy thing. 
So now she, they're trying, like, just wants to drop that breadcrumb of, like, this is just, I guess, controversially or, or uh, it's, it's just interesting that he gave that character beat, that line to her without exploring it because God knows we're not going to explore it. But uh, it, I thought it was an interesting character beat for her. That, that yeah. Lindsay is smart enough to have gone down and been like, well, as a lawyer, like, let me figure out why I think it's happening. Yeah, no, for sure. When did the jury go out? About an hour ago. Also, I mean, hair and makeup this episode, they were, whoever they hired for this week is just <laughs> going for it. I don't think we're going to hear anything today. I'm thinking we should see if that offer still stands. You closed well, Eleanor. Zeus in heaven. Oh, my God. Stop saying that. I've been pulling up every case, every clipping I can with similar facts. Do you think it's like the word game, Keith? I mean, for those of you who aren't unaware, sometimes in theater uh, or improv or some type of a live performance, there's like a game where it can go a lot of different ways. But one way we play in the in the Schmerzy Schmenners is somebody just gives you a random turn of phrase or a random word and you have to work it into the flow of the show, of the banter. Right. Or... Uh, Sometimes you choose a weird word to use as your peas and carrots. Like if you're background of in a scene and you're just, you're mm -hmm. supposed to be fake talking. Yeah, you, you know, Mike, you're going to have to work in the word pineapple. Zeus in heaven? Oh, Zeus yeah. in heaven. Yeah. This, you know what, on the cruise at one of the shows, I'll work in Zeus in heaven for you guys. Um, yeah. Do you think that's what this is? Yeah, we're going to find out. Patterns. See if anybody anywhere used any new defenses on... Seven years ago in Denver, same thing. A woman shot her ex-boyfriend trying to kill her with a knife. Exact same thing. So what's the problem? Exact same woman. What? She had a different name, different social security number, but that's her. Well, was she charged? No. The police ruled it justifiable self-defense. She was so traumatized, according to this article, she left to start a new life. So she's done this before. And not just once. Three years ago in Cleveland, again a boyfriend, again justified self-defense. There's oh, no picture here, but a quote. He just came at me from nowhere, Zeus in heaven. Uh, that's why it's there. Occam's razor, it, baby. We, yeah, it's a MacGuffin. Not a MacGuffin, it's a Zeus. What I don't <laughs> understand is if you could pull this up in six hours, why can't the police? The police aren't investigating. Both shootings were ruled justifiable. They're not looking. Well, how many boyfriends does she have to kill before they get suspicious? The same woman didn't do it as far as they know. She's had three different identities, which, by the way, is simple to do. So what do you do now besides not date her? Ah, Zane, They're like going to like, the Met Gala. Jamie. Everybody in this place is dressed like they're going to a gala. Shut the computer. Shut the Can computer. Can I talk to you? Shut the computer. Sure. Go in the conference room. I'll be right in. Shut the computer. What do I do? We stick to this case. Why? Because what we don't know can help us, Jamie. Should she ever get charged on this case? Oh, come on. We know. We saw the newspaper. We saw a woman who looked like her. Period. This in heaven. So what's happening? The police are still investigating. We're hoping they rule it justifiable. Good. Listen, this whole thing is obviously upsetting. I can't continue to live in that apartment. In fact, I'm thinking maybe it's best if I leave Boston altogether. Oh? 
I think maybe I should just try to start a new life somewhere. Try to escape all this. Certainly you don't want to leave the jurisdiction now. The police would consider that suspicious. After they decide not to charge you, that would be the time to think about leaving. I see. Yes, of course. Zeus in heaven, I can't even begin to think where I would even go. Denver's nice. Have we hit it hard enough? But her her ex-husband or boyfriend was saying it too? He just picked it up from her, I guess? No, no, no. She's... That's her cat, her personal catchphrase, and that's how Jamie caught her for being a serial. Yeah, yeah, I got black that. Widow. But didn't the guy who was saying that she was wee? Didn't he say Zeus in heaven too? No. Oh, it says Cleveland. Or her. Why did you say that? Oh, I visited Denver once. It was beautiful, and who doesn't love Cleveland? Jamie, listen, I've been talking to some Don't potential the serial killer. And you've got plenty of support, by the way. But I found out. Albert actually broke up with you, not the other way around. I never said it was the other way around. Well, it's just in characterizing him as the jealous ex-boyfriend. Well, also, one of your lovers said that he got the idea that you were trying to make Albert jealous, you know, to, to punish him a little. Would I be the first girlfriend to do that? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I expressly told you not to confront her. I didn't. How I about just... Denver or Cleveland? What the hell was that? That's hardly <laughs> confronting her. And the stuff about the witnesses was relevant to this case, Bobby. Don't play games with me. You were fishing in waters. I asked you not to. I threw out one little cat. Don't do it again. Do I make myself clear? Yes. There is a pecking order here, Jamie. Let's not forget that. I won't. She's been hanging around Lucy too much. That's her problem. Picking up all that sassiness. <laughs> I think she's still <laughs> pushing to fit in. Fit in. She challenges us at every turn. Do they teach that at Harvard now? Well, the last Harvard grad worked out. You married her. That's not gonna happen this time. Listen, Jimmy, uh, I do have something I want to talk to you about. Jimmy? Everybody's coming close. Catholic to Catholic. Catholic to Catholic, Keith. That's like our podcast. How are you handling this priest thing? I don't know. Well, clearly you've thought about it. Thought about it? Bobby, a lot of nights, I don't sleep. I'm not an abstract thinker, you know. When I think of God, I kind of give him a human image. My priest... In a way, he's always represented the face of God to me. So to think of priests doing what some of them did, it's... Have you ever thought about leaving the church over? No. That would be like leaving God. Bobby, the church is not just the priests. It's you and me. We are the church. To leave would be like walking away from ourselves. Who we are. People of God. But as people of God, how do we tolerate these? Look, the media has so overblown this. They don't talk about all the good the church does. And it's a lot. Maybe he's right. At this point in history, we knew about 10% of what we know now. 
overblowing it. There is enough rage. is destroyed. All right, then. Mr. Foreman, I'll ask you to rise and read your verdict to the court. In the matter of Grayson versus Beck, we, the jury, find in favor of the plaintiff, and we ordered the defendant to pay compensatory damages in the amount of $1.4 million. Is he rich, that guy? No idea. This trial is completed. Members of the jury, your service is finished. We thank you. And this matter is adjourned. So we won, I guess. Thank you. Thank you both. Be prepared for an appeal. And it's one we have to take very seriously. I know. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks again. Another? I think so. Calgary, Alberta. She lived there for a year after Denver. That's her, see? And she shot yet another boyfriend. All four had criminal records for assault, battery. I think it's a prerequisite for her. It helps her justify her shootings. And every time she's been cleared? And then falls off the face of the earth. Four victims. And counting. That was Helen Gamble's office. It's been ruled justifiable self-defense. We have to tell them. Tell who? The police. There are going to be more. She's serial. You want to lose your bar ticket? So we say nothing. We don't tell anybody. We won. Never lose your bar ticket. Million. You know, like when you perform what? at 54 Below, they give you the laws you know, the are changing, tickets. folks. Never We're as shocked them. as you are. Congratulations. Really? Thank you. Uh, you judge me, sir. This came See you in the little video box. service, but he left it anyway. What is it? You know a Marshall Hasberg? Marshall? Yes, he worked at the church, too. You and he were friends? Friendly. Played basketball together, but I wouldn't say we were close. Why? He's suing you. What? For not telling him about Father Brendel. Seems he was raped after you. Slippery slope, Keith. Jamie's going Louise? to that Black Widow's. Zeus in heaven. You startled me. Clearing out? Yes. Lucy called. Told me the shooting was ruled justifiable, so I thought I'd pack and go. Sooner the better. Where to? You know, I haven't really decided yet. I'm gonna go see some friends, move around, pick a place, I guess. Any suggestions? Well, after Denver and Cleveland, only leaves Calgary. Never been there. Maybe I'll try it. Uh-huh. Why are you here, Jamie? Trying to get me to Jamie say something? Jamie got murdered right now. It's almost as if you think I'm a killer or something. 
course, if you did think that, I doubt you'd come here alone. That'd be dangerous. If you'll excuse me now, I need to finish packing. Jamie's got balls of some giant brass balls. She does. She does indeed. And Bobby has walked into his church. Bobby? And Robert Prosky, his priest, is back. Hey, Father. Thanks for agreeing to meet me here. Oh, no problem. I'm leaving the church, Father. What? Oh, what do you mean? Leaving the church? I have loved being a part of this parish. And specifically being your parishioner. But the sex abuse scandal... Bobby, let's sit down and talk. What can you say? Molestation gets a bad rap. I can say that the offending clergy makes up a microscopic portion of the priesthood. I know that. But the church's concealment. It's enabling these priests to destroy so many young lives. We've made mistakes. I believe that we're acknowledging them. Our new policy is zero tolerance. I know the litigation tactics being employed against the victims. I also know that... Look, this isn't about vengeance. At least we get to see the priest again. Bobby, when you have a crisis of conscience, well, any personal crisis for that matter, where do you go? I come to you. But this isn't about you, or I'm not leaving the faith, just the church. My son, when you leave the church, you leave the faith. See, that's bullshit too, in my opinion. Can I give you the speech about all of the good work that we've done? Do you have any notion of the global charitable work done by the Catholic Church? I do. See that, Keith, you, you said it in much better terms, but I'm going to simplify my opinion because I, I, we, we differ a little bit in that I think you are, you identify as atheist, right? So, well, no, I, I identify as a, as a, uh, atheistic leading agnostic. It's okay. like, I, atheism implies that like I have certainty, mm-hmm. whereas what I have is it's not impossible, just very unlikely. Okay, so I would say, just so we're all putting all cards on the table, I'm more um, spiritually leaning agnostic, okay? Right. So we're in the same ladder, I just a few different, we're just on different rungs. Right. The problem with all of the arguments for any specific religion, in this is my opinion, the majority of the major tenant religions, is what this priest just said. It's, 
leaving the church is leaving the faith, right? Right. Okay, so so if I don't come to this parish, Father, and give you my my tithing every week or whatever it is, then I guess I am going to hell. It's ostensibly what you're saying. I'm right. Well, you know, they're, they're treating faith like a business. Um, yes, and I just think that's such bullshit. It's like that Simpsons episode. If I don't know if you recall, uh, years and years and years ago, where uh, someone someone dies and ends up in heaven. And it's basically like a big uh, lottery wheel. And they're like, well, it turns out uh, the Buddhists were right. And then you see all the other religions all like, ah, and fall through a pit and stuff. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's whatever, and once again, this is the opinion of the Out of Practice podcast, whatever the afterlife, faith, God, whatever that is, whatever the answer to the question is, it sure as hell isn't one of these things. Right, it sure as hell isn't, and everything else is wrong. Russian roulette, which is basically what organized religion is, right? You better pick right, or you better have been born right. Otherwise, born into the right family or religion. Otherwise, you're fucked, ostensibly, because all of them are exclusive. Well, that is the opinion. Many of them are. Yes. 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 Many. Not all of them are, but many of them are. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, and and I think Bobby here, the way David E. Kelly is illustrating this is a little heavy-handed in my opinion, but that's what TV is at times. But I don't look to the church like it's the United Way. For me, it's about spiritual and moral leadership. Until you expel every offending priest. Everyone involved with protecting them and concealing them. There's been no true penance. When that day comes, I hope to return. Bobby, you can't just leave. You can't. Terrific work by Dylan McDermott there. It's nice Jeff they Durant. gave him something to do other than like be mad at Lindsay or to be upset about it. Like right. they gave him like something meaty to chew on. No, no, it's great. I'm excited to talk about it in the oopsies, which we will uh, see you back on the YouTubes if you care to see our faces. And we. Are back, baby. We are indeed. We have watched the practice season seven, episode six, the Telltale Nation. Lots to talk about, but be uh, but before we do, just in case you don't remember from ten seconds ago, work. Let's uh, give you thirty seconds of a recap entitled mm, two, three, four. Mike has thirty seconds to remember what just happened on the show segment. Segment. Hey, this guy's pissed, everybody, because his friend made him go see this priest who then molested him. And so he says, you got to pay me money. And people are like, yeah, but should he be at fault? Because he was also a victim. But guess what? The jury, in this case, at least says, yes, he should. And so he gets a million dollars. But it makes Bobby think, hmm, you know what? I think I need to leave the church. It's much more nuanced than that. Trust me. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of some loud sex noises. And then Jamie almost instigates a... Serial murderer. Yeah. That, okay. Sure. 
Now, do it again. Oh, shit. Uh, but faster. Oh, no. In a segment, we call... <laughs> Surprise Coopsie. Oh no! I, I my face is got everything is fucked up here. Uh, I, I guys, I haven't prepared this. I'm very nervous because there are a lot of landmines that could just blow up on me here. Um, <laughs> are victims at fault? Can victims be blamed? That's how I want to start. Can victims be blamed? Uh Oh no. <laughs> Bobby has crisis of faith. Black Widow <laughs> returns. Uh-huh. Let me give you one uh here in uh in response. Okay. Everything is fucked. Mike is too scared of landmines. This did not go well. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know well. Let's go right to uh, this. On that amazing note. Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice podcast in unofficial unsolicited, unfactual association with David You know, I had so many ones that went well, Keith. I get one shitty week. You totally do. You totally do. Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, they're a fake award show that we should not be nominated for any of on this particular episode, except for this bumper. Just let it wash over you. So, uh, MVL, Mr. Indeglio. I'm preparing. My brother hired me to run a trivia at, uh, to host a trivia at this big educational conference this weekend. Oh. And I foolishly made the assumption that by being hired to host something, it had been already created. Aha. Uh -huh. And it is now Friday, and I'm being slowly educated that I now have to build a scalable trivia to last three hours for up to a hundred people and I have about 24 hours to do it now. And you have to do the trivia questions and such or? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's not the same thing as that. That's no. actually not hosting. No, that's, no. That's uh, creating the entire. Yeah, the rate uh, would have been different. Um, I, I would imagine. Yeah. So I, sorry, if my, if my entire mood and demeanor has shifted radically in the last 11 seconds, has that is Has shifted why. from shitty to shittier? No, t mixed with the, just that hint of panic that mm, I used to mm. enjoy in my young 20s because uh, people who perform and are like improvisational, 
at their core generally are motivated and enjoy the improvisational nature of life. Mm-hmm. I that I found that as I get older, I enjoy it much and much less. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But you need I can to tell improvise you this. an MVL. Yeah. Um, this is tough. <laughs> it's tough because we were really on the wrong side of the case here. Um, both fronts, to be honest with you. Uh, but I guess we won. I guess Eugene gets the nod for uh, for being sort of really not on board personally with what we're going for, but also getting $1.1 million for our client and for our firm. And Bobby clearly was very upset in the beginning. We clearly were going through some fiscal challenges. So this accomplishes both a win Mm -hmm. uh, legally and also fiscally for the office. So I I guess we got to start there. Yeah, I... Yes, I mean, certainly based on results. I mean, for sure. Or, you know, you could also say that uh, Jamie helped somebody get away with murder... So uh, both of our results were very successful and, uh, you know, wrong. Uh, I think I'm not going to be results-based today because uh, I think the verdict that the jury gave in uh, Eleanor and Eugene's case strained credulity. I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, what I do buy is the argument made by uh, John Franklin, the, uh, the defendant's lawyer played by Arya Gross. So uh, that's where I'm going, but yeah, it was uh, it was not. So a its great value though, for- in most valuable lawyer, the value there you think is for precedent, and that it was entered into the record that argument. Yeah, the yeah the the value is the points that he made. Uh, even if because I feel like he would have had the winning case in real life. It was only on television that the plot needed him to lose. I would say that as a whole, we'll talk about it later. With the exception of the testimony by the victims in this case, plural, the whole sh- episode was very for TV. Well, yes, yes. Although we'll, we'll talk tried about to distill a that- lot of gigantic, multi-layered issues into a very consumable but that's the, that's its task right i mean it, it can't, did it did. Yeah. i i think i liked bobby's story more than you did but we're not there yet because uh i'll tell you where we are we are at everybody dance already famous because you've been on tv getting a paycheck first entry on your imdb way to go but you're the best guest actor you are the best Speaking of, it was nice to see a return of Bobby's Priest, who we always enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nice to see the returning, our returning guest actor, who was was a rabbi once and in his new life is a, an attorney. Right. Uh, but I think that this week we shouted it out at the top of the episode. I think that the uh, the plaintiff in this case uh, was complicated and had in the Herculean task, the Zeusian task, if you will, of humanizing, of bringing through, you know, a performance, the plight of a really specific and real uh, group of 
victims and people, um, not just those affected by the Catholic Church, but every, uh, but of of sort of sexual abuse in or abuse in totality. Uh, and yeah. I thought he did a great job, and so uh, I believe he should be awarded. Uh, and uh, the he we are speaking of, of course, is Tim Quill, who uh, I completely agree. I thought he did a tremendous job uh, with a very difficult ask, uh, especially as a guest actor coming in and having to do that. So uh, definitely congratulations, Tim Quill. You are an oopsie winner. You didn't expect to be. I bet when you began your career as an actor, you didn't ever even think you were going to win an oopsie. But here you are winning one. Now it is time for, now that Mike is finally, no, not finally, he's working on it. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case, but you let a single tear run down your face. You're the best actor on the show. If you didn't listen to the episode, you should have. Everybody was really knocking it out of the park today. Um, Steve Harris, shout out for just like, not only some great scenes, but also some great scenes where he didn't say anything. I mean, he is just a goddamn master. But yes. I want to, uh, it brings me joy to bring things back to Dylan McDermott for the reason I said to Keith during the episode is that I feel like the writing team lets Bobby down on so many levels so often. They've really mm -hmm. pigeonholed him into like a few specific beats over the past two, three seasons. And we almost forget that he's like a nuanced human being and you know it's hard for me and i think you would agree keith it's hard for me sometimes not to wear my opinions let to not let them affect my, my personal opinions on a specific topic to affect like i i find it almost like prior to this episode i would have found it somewhat straining credulity as you said that bobby is so is so Catholic, right? I guess because in my experience, in my life, I don't have a lot of like fervently religious people in my circle that are legit that devoted, devout. I'm not scoffing at it. I'm saying I just don't have that experience. And so Jimmy, I buy, I don't know that he's that, it's that he's devout. I know he's he's very dedicated, but we've we've discussed it before. Bobby has a little bit, but not a ton. Anyway, and it was really heavy-handed at times this this episode, but at no times do I feel like it was too much. Uh, Dylan made me believe that that not only did he was he very committed to his faith, but he was struggling mightily. That the points Eugene raised and the the and the cards that were dealt in front of him made him struggle, and then not only struggle, and I think something uh, editorially what the episode is saying is that that internal struggle at some point isn't enough that we, the, the trickle-down people, take some responsibility for the institutions, for the behavior of the institutions we are a part of. And Bobby manifests that by saying, I can't be a part of this anymore. I don't know what the answer is, but until there's at least, well, Bobby does give an answer. He asks for full accountability and, and, and culpability for those perpetrators. And that might be an incredible, incredibly unattainable task, but Bobby sets some limits. At least he takes that first step, right? He says, I'm out until some sort of change. And I think that that is, once again, a huge swing for David E. Kelly uh, to take for a character to happen in one episode. 
but I think they stuck that landing for the Bobby arc for sure. I know you 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 thought I was implying I didn't enjoy it. I actually did quite a bit. Um, and Dylan brings that home. And you got to remember, like I said, they they often kind of shortchange Bobby as far as nuance goes. But every time they 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 decide to write it into an episode, Dylan's able to take stock Bobby and and infuse it with whatever the the thing at the moment is. And this episode I thought was was sort of a masterclass, especially this that last scene, as you mentioned. The struggle was real. It wasn't just that Bobby was crying, it's that he was struggling. And uh, that's difficult to watch, but easy to enjoy. And uh, that's my long-winded way of saying Dylan McDermott. Yeah, no, I, I uh, for sure. I think this is um, some of Dylan's best work on the show. And, you know, and I, I this it's sort of like a half tires conversation here, but I've asked many times on this show, why do we like Bobby? Right? We're, we're being asked as an audience to get behind this character and that the whole show is driven by Bobby and we're supposed to be rooting for him and like him. And he's had some real struggles with likability and, and I've, found myself not really rooting for him as much as one would expect on the show. But this episode, this arc gives me a reason to like Bobby. I really, really um, liked his struggle here. I understood his struggle and I liked the fact that he stood up and did what he considered. And frankly, I consider the right thing. And even against uh, his own wishes, you know, what he would like to have happen. And, you know, this gave him some moral integrity and some backbone that I haven't always seen. And I really liked this for Bobby, um, as well as for Dylan. So it's a little bit of a tires conversation. But yes, obviously, Dylan uh, crushed it. We'll talk more about the big picture in the tires. But first... We have to move on to someone with no integrity because he's a garbage person. I've never even met him. The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Keith, I've given you a challenge every week this mm. season thus far. Some really Photoshop epic. You got to do a lot. So I'm going to make it easy for you this week. I just want to see a mm. picture of a confessional in a church. Mm -hmm. And they're impl it's implied that, that Tom Brady's in there. Okay. We think... Potentially with a priest, potentially with a shark, because all we're going to see is the confessional with blood pouring through the seams. And we don't mm. know what's happening on the inside. There's a lot to be left to the imagination. So uh, we're just going to call it shark. Mm, I don't know how. Oh. How about bloody confessional Tom Brady? That's it. That's it. Congratulations to Bloody Confessional Tom Brady as the winner of the Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. All right. Speaking all right, of jumping the shark, that segment. Woo. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. So, listen, guys. It's it, I, I know the dynamic is that I go first uh, and Keith watches the episodes and prepares a little bit uh, for this segment. Um, I've got a lot of th thoughts and a lot of them are jumbled. And so I want to let you go first, Keith, because I think there's some important points we should hit here. Uh, okay. 
so I, I think since you're probably a little bit better prepared, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first. That is so uh, uh, so untrue, but let's uh, let's let's roll with it. <sighs> There's a silence. Lot... <laughs> right, I know. There is a lot here that I like. Um, I really like David E. Kelly taking on this topic. Um, it was incredibly relevant back in 2002. It is still incredibly relevant. It is We are still wrestling with these things. Um, and I think it's very important to talk about. I think these discussions about, you know, what is your... What is your culpability with the institutions that you support, either financially or even through attendance, right? What is your culpability? You know, if I'm if I'm a Giants fan and the Giants as an institution do something shitty and I'm still buying the jersey, what's my level of culpability there? And I think that's a really interesting thing to debate. Um, I found a uh, – there's actually an article in the New York Times – about this exact episode um, leading up to it, knowing that they were going to start to address this topic and uh, and how complicated it was. And uh, they actually reached out to the president of the Catholic League, which monitors media representation of the church. And he said that he has had numerous epi- issues with David E. Kelly in the past and has not seen this episode. But in theory, he said he had no problem with a show that depicted a Catholic layman troubled by the church's handling of the scandal. Quote, if a Catholic isn't troubled by this issue, he or she isn't a good Catholic. Um, so, uh, of course, he did not endorse Catholics leaving the church. Um, anyway, so I, I thought that part of this was great. I really liked the outcome. I, I thought, you know, I, I thought Eugene's speech was great. I thought it was incredibly well articulated, incredibly well put. I thought it was much more of much more effective than Lindsay's. Lindsay's felt a little bit more unfair, whereas everything Eugene said felt really fair to me, um, and I really liked that. So, uh, you know, the 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 case of the victims suing each other. Well, I. I I disagree with the outcome and I disagree with um, that being allowed. I understand it as a, as a story point, because at this point getting retribution, getting justice from the priest or from the church in general was very difficult and took a long time. And I can understand as a person, you want somebody to take some accountability for this. And it's sort of a tragedy that that case was tragic because you had two victims fighting each other because they couldn't get accountability from the people who were really dealing with it. So it it wasn't necessarily a good guy bad thing. It was a tragic, sad thing that understandably happens, and it's it's tough. It's tough, but I, you know, I don't I don't mind that story being told. Um, you know, and I thought the the show's point of view, even though our heroes were on the wrong side of it, I don't think the show's point of view was necessarily on the side of, of, um, of the, the, the platen there. So, uh, so that was, that was, uh, I, I was on board with that and I thought it was, I thought it was handled relatively deftly with compassion for all of that. 
Uh, so now it's time to get to uh, our most favorite. There, there are two things that the practice loves, right? Serial killers. Everybody, we're obsessed with serial killers. That's what we do on the show. We do serial killers. But you know what we do that we love even as much as serial killers? Black Widows! And uh, in this episode, we got both. So uh, half of all clients seen on the practice are either a serial killer or a Black Widow. And uh, as I've said so many times with the twisty twist, with the serial killer, with the Black Widow, if this was the only one, cool. That's fun. That's interesting. Cool. But it's the 15th version of both. At least Bobby wasn't sleeping with this one, even though he slept with two others. Uh, or wanted to, at least. There you go. Uh, certainly had emotional affairs with two other Black Widows. God, I mean, like, I get you want to have a lighter, you know, a, a lighter B story to go along with this heavy stuff. But, oh my goodness. It, it's it's not just that they, they stole the card from Ally McBeal. They never took the card down from season one of The Practice. Take the card down. It has been played. Uh, so, I need to give tires and I will stop talking. Uh, you know what? I'm feeling generous because I really appreciate David E. Kelly going out going out on a limb here and telling the story and giving this to Bobby. So I'm going to disregard the Black Widow nonsense uh, because I'm, I'm just going to pretend it wasn't a part of it. And I'm going to give this episode 8.43 spare tires. Generous who you have an interesting perspective on this because you were specifically raised raised Catholic. Yeah, but I was never devout in any way. Um, no, but no, I but d- you were but you were raised in the church. I was, and I was blessed in having, uh, in my experience, uh, even when I worked and sung with the um, Methodist Church, of, of just really compassionate and wonderful spiritual priests and ministers. So. Granted, you know that they're not all monsters. Argument is, I, I I've lived that and I understand that, and I, I I understand it now. I think what this episode did, we talked about courage a little bit in the writers' room and on David e. Kelly's part, and I think you nailed it. I, I think what I appreciate most is that he told the story, and it's a complicated story, and had a strong viewpoint, uh, and did the complete antithesis of me during the episode and did not attempt to tread lightly, said what he had to say. Attempted to pose both sides-ish, not really both sides, but attempted to use the well-trod excuse of those in the institution in that you can't overlook the good we've done, and which tacitly implies that it, that it, they they will never say explicit they will never explicitly say it excuses that behavior but it but it sort of makes up for it is you know it's like well let's, let's look over here instead of looking at the ugly boogaboo and i like that david kelly calls it and i like that and and what we 
because, and he's done this before, but because David E. Kelly knows he can't have a ruling of a case that is going to solve the problem, what I think, and, and, and subtlety is not their strong suit, obviously, but what I think is really kind of deftly handled here is that they set the cards up to as like, here's the issue. Let's have a kind of almost ridiculous view of it, which is we have one victim who is suing another victim because he didn't warn him going in. And you're like, well, that's a little, that's a lot to expect of somebody. But then using the Bobby storyline, they trickle that down to what is David E. Kelly really trying to say, which is like, look, you as members of this institution also yeah. share that responsibility. Maybe you don't owe a million dollars, but you definitely owe a little introspection at the very least. Or and so, I think you do owe a million dollars, but yes. Well, but instead of giving that million dollars in the courtroom, you're taking it out of the coffer. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, your ongoing contribution, if you will. And I think that that is such a, for, for such a complicated issue, is such a skilled sleight of hand, perfectly placed plotting. The pacing was very good. Having the arguments between Bobby and Eugene friends, showing that it's an issue that comes home with you, then bringing it to, the, to to Lindsay and how it affects parents. All the points might not, all the beats might not be perfect. The Lindsay thing might have been a little uh, shorthanded, but all said, really expertly done issue episode of the practice in the pantheon of Jimmy's uh, death row case. I don't know, but for this season. I'd say that that so I enjoyed it and for, for let alone just for what it did for Bobby as a character for us yeah yeah uh, important really well done expertly acted across the board now we get to the B case that you so lovingly forgave <laughs> my problem is not with the recycling of the plot I've come to, I've come to know it this is uh, the question here as we've dealt with in a few other things, uh, we've dealt with it in actual plots with the grape jelly and with the, uh, what was the other Occam's Razors thing for no reason? Oh, oh God, any number of things. Yeah. My problem here is is from a, is a zoomed out perspective. What, why? 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 Not why recycle right. it. Why does she have to be, a, why does she have to be a, a serial killer. Why does she have to be a black widow? And then Lindsay, and then Jamie like almost calls her on it twice, but then just ends up just like walking away and letting her get away. Like, what do we take from that? Right. There is, it serves zero purpose unless it's just supposed to be Halloweeny. That's the only right. grace I can give it is that it's like, Halloween oh, Halloweeny. But they didn't even just recycle the plot line. They then recycled the resolution of Lindsay's case. It's right. the same thing, except they except they took Lindsay's very seriously, and this one they were like, no, no, it's cool. We're not even going to investigate, which is like weird, also. Right, right. The, so I, I really it it doesn't it really was a waste, <laughs> and like it doesn't further Jamie along. It, it the brass balls almost seem stupid. Like if you're not gonna, so if you're gonna make a statement, have Jamie go to the to the DA's office and and do what right. they should have done. Right, right. Do, do it anonymously. Something. Yeah, for we've an talked a about case, this before. For an A case that 
solidly had something to say. This felt they had completely nothing to say. Yeah. My other slight nit to pick is they they were so close to nailing the A case 100%. The one thing I don't like, like you said, the, the, the resolution strained credulity that a jury would do that. I just don't feel that they would. When and then have oh and now his friend is gonna is gonna sue him, which they foreshadowed so hard when Eleanor I think or was it Eugene said we got to be careful because a slippery slope turns into a steep cliff, right? Very right. quickly. We're not stupid. We get the point of why. Oh look, you got your million dollars, but look now, aren't you just as responsible? Like we already are doing that in the case. Wouldn't it have made more sense to have them lose, right? Like. That it's not the victim is not to blame here, but then the Bobby resolution brings it full circle by saying, but that doesn't mean it can't trickle down and you can't look inside and make and and do something about it, right? Which yeah. is a much more effective would have been a much more a tighter episode if we were writing mm-hmm. it. I just they didn't need the B case at all. No. I just it, it's a cancer. Uh, <laughs> that's that's dramatic. I would have said this is close to a 9.0 tires episode. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. more. Uh, I have to ding it. I can't ding it. I'm going to say eight, 8.15. So still still pretty up there. Should, be, should net pretty well. Okay. Well, there you are. We have our tires. And before I go to our Easter egg, let me just uh, provide a little bit more context from David E. Kelly on this very episode. Oh, great. He said uh, he was convinced he could not follow the standard formula of walking the line to steer clear of controversy, presenting, as he said in an interview, the arguments of two different sides to provide balance. With this issue, Mr. Kelly said, there is no balance, it's just an atrocity. Agreed. All right, well, let us, uh, let's take a look at that Easter egg. Shouldn't be that hard to figure out. And uh, looks like a recycled Black Widow to me, Keith. I don't even know that I have to do anything special in in post. No, it's there. I did it all for you, and uh, and you can you can tell how recycled it was because there's a million Black Widows. Because there's a mm. million. It's not just recycled once. This thing is perma use. You use it over and <laughs> over and over and over again. Oh, I hope it's the last time we see it. And speaking of things that you we do over and over and over and over again. We tell you how to email us, how to contact us. You can find us on email at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com, on Facebook and Instagram at outofpracticepodcast. I'll tell you what people are not doing over and over and over again. They're not leaving us ratings and reviews and joining the jury. The poor jury's been sequestered for so long. We need some fresh blood. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service of your choice. But you know who is always fresh to us? Our founding sponsors, Jorge Naboa, Cloud Lover 69, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Masanova, and Kari Kuhn. Did you know that you can recycle your donation to us over and over and over <laughs> again by clicking on the link to leave us a monthly contribution that helps us produce the show each and every week? Hey, you only want to give us a couple dollars one time? You can do that too. You can find both of those links in your show notes. You can also help us out by liking, subscribing, hitting the bell notification or watching our other more popular show about Keith Star Trek toys. Yeah. Whatever you decide to do, 
I need you to look at your best friend and apologize for not ensuring that they shoot off some laser sounds. Apologize because you made sure they didn't, or you didn't make sure they sent laser sounds? You used to let me just go and do it and not have to worry about, like, if I was saying anything coherent, all right? But now <laughs> you critique it every week, and it's making me very anxious, now and I'm, I'm going to make you start doing it. Think through the logic of the laser sounds. Well, if uh, much logic, like... Uh, I think about it the split second before my lips start flapping, okay? There's no... <laughs> thing. Usually, I'd come up... But now, this one's about sexual abuse, Keith. I that's what the topic of the episode is. I usually try to link it to the topic. What well, I, I had nothing. What was I gonna say? I was got. I've already screwed myself. I've already got to listen to this four times to make sure I didn't say something that I'm gonna have to cut out of the episode because one of the two of us is gonna want decide to do it. All right. Well, folks, do you want to make your friend fire off some laser sounds? Question the logic in his laser sounds. We will see. You next know what? Week. Why don't you find yourself a radioactive mm-hmm. spider? <laughs> whose venom is actually laser sounds. There you go, laser sounds. 